that's a really tiny font. I thought that, that looked a lot bigger on my computer. Well, I've been encouraged by so many of you coming up to me this morning and others that I've known that have been praying for me over the past couple of days and weeks and stuff. I've also been encouraged this morning by some of you to speak up, so I'm going to try. So if I don't get to the right volume, though, I encourage you to lean in. Um, you know, that'll help you. So. Uh, just a quick joke about this, uh, this topic. So think about this Saturday morning. You get to sleep in as long as you want. When you get up out of your warm bed, there's clothes laid out for you. You go and eat breakfast that's been made for you. And you have no schedule. You get to do whatever you want all day long. But you're blind with rage because you're three years old. And if that isn't true of Audrey, I, I mean, it's amazing how true this is. You can put the right shoes on the right feet and ruin a day. Um, it's, you know, that's not the right pink shirt with the right unicorn on it. You know, that's just, you buttered the toast wrong. Uh, but it's, it's a statement of her maturity. You know, we expect that from a three-year-old or, you know, that, we don't hope that for a three-year-old, but we expect that from a three-year-old. So uh, anyway, that, this morning's message is about maturity. And, you know, studying for this, I kind of went, there's so much. You know, you start reading in the Word just how much is spoken about maturity and how, you know, how we mature, why we mature, and all this. And it kind of, I, I can put it to an analogy of, this past uh, January, when we went to Colorado, we had, you know, 14 hours of windshield time there and back. So you've got a lot of things to see. Well, I'm kind of the person that, you know, I look over as we're going through a small town and you see a shop and it's like, oh, I'd like to stop in there and see what's in there. I bet there's some really old, cool stuff in there. Or, you know, I've never been through this town. Or you, uh, one of the uh, biggest things is, you're coming through a pass through the Colorado mountains and all of a sudden it opens up and you see this vast valley out in front of you and you've got a river running down one side and you've got little towns over. I mean, just, you can see, it seems like forever till you get to the next mountain and you can see just all these cool places that would be, I wonder what's down that road or I wonder, you know, what's it like to live in this community and, you know, uh, see these trails uh, wandering off into the woods. Where's that lead? And um, that's kind of how I felt studying this topic. Um, but we don't have 14 hours this morning. So I'm going to try to focus in on a few things. Um, so if I miss something that you, you, you think, oh, that would be a really good point, maybe bring it up next time. Uh, and, and we'll get there. Uh, but uh, this morning, I kind of wanted to define a term with this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in basic, I talked the, about the importance of us as Christians defining our terms in, in the biblical context. Our culture will define our terms for us if we're not careful. And uh, we don't want to do that. And so we want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about because we know that our culture doesn't understand love. We know they don't know what they're talking about when they talk about peace and joy. So this morning I want to define some terms. 
uh, as it relates to this. So in Ephesians 4, we find a really good definition of maturity. That we may come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should renew our minds and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's pretty clear. Paul fills in between all those verses with taking off the old man and rejecting worldly wisdom. But that idea of coming into fullness of Christ and coming into unity in the body. So if we don't define our terms and we allow the world to define our terms, coming into maturity, it can, you know, we should be going along a developmental step, but if the world lets, you know, defines our terms for us, it, it can look a little different. Why? Because the world wants us to look within ourselves. They think that you can be better. They think you can try harder. They think you can discipline your thoughts. You can change your behaviors. You can practice mindfulness. That's a big buzz thing these days. But it's all inward. But how do we find, like, what's our standard of maturity if we look inward? It's, it's, uh, there's not a standard. If you can set your own standard, then there's not a standard, right? Um, but this, this understanding is not really even going to get us out of the driveway on, on a 14-hour trip. Uh, we really need to have a standard, and our standard is set in the Word. The idea of spiritual maturity is not to have a good life or just to be a good person, but is to have a relationship with God because we were created for that. If we only seek to be saved, to be a better person, we can fall into the same trap that the Pharisees fell into. Because it's not just, um, you know, the idea of, like, thanks God for getting me out of the ditch. I'll take it from here. Think about, you know, if it was just to get us back on track, salvation is kind of, you know, that doesn't quite get us where we need to be in spiritual maturity. We need them through the whole journey. Um, Let's look at uh, Matthew 23, puts it this way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, dill, anise, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Without, uh, you should have, you ought to have done both uh, without leaving the other undone. I was thinking about this, the idea that I've always kind of pictured myself, I've, you know, raised in the Christian tradition, been pastor's kid, you know, obviously, you know, I rededicated my life in my 20s, and I've served Christ ever since, but all my life I've always thought of myself, if I were in those biblical times, certainly wouldn't I have been on Christ's side, 
you know, when he confronts the Pharisees, wouldn't I be a, you know, maybe I wouldn't be a disciple necessarily, you know, one of the 12, but certainly I'd be on his side of the crowd, you know, and telling the Pharisees, you don't know who you're messing with, pal. But then if I don't seek spiritual maturity and I don't seek a relationship with him, maybe I'm not on his side. Maybe I'm on the Pharisee's side that rejected Christ or rejected uh, relationship with him. So maybe I need to make sure that which side I'm on. And spiritual maturity will help you see that. Works prove faith. Works to prove faith are always attractive to us as mile markers. Think about the idea of you know these Pharisees, they try to do all the they follow the laws and they assume their righteousness because of their works. But that's not what we're told about. That's not what uh, Scripture tells us. But if the works are the sum total of our spiritual maturity, then we need to move on. Certainly there are works that need to be evident in our lives, but they need to be the fruit of our changed hearts and our growing relationship with God. If we mature in our understanding of justice, mercy, and faith, then we're not going to break the law. The Pharisees thought you had to keep the law in order to be righteous, but what Christ was saying is if you have relationship with me, true relationship with me, seek me, seek the things that I find valuable, then keeping the law is not a problem. That was a a common example given in so many youth uh, crusades and rallies and things that I attended was, you know, the law is like the fence around a pasture, and God's in the middle of that pasture. And thinking about whether or not to break the law, you're on that fence, or you're near it. But if you're headed towards the middle of the pasture where God is, the fence is of no, no concern for you. Um, so that's, that's the idea of maturing, is you're walking in the right direction towards the middle of that field rather than staying around the fence, wondering of how close am I. Am I on it? Am I over it? That sort of thing. Um, But we need to be looking not for following the law necessarily, but maturing in Christ. And that's what uh, a lot of the Gospels are talking about when they're talking the difference between meat and milk. So we have much to say in Hebrews 5.11 through 14. We have much to say about this. But it's hard to explain because you are dull of hearing. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is still an infant, inexperienced in the message of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil pretty stark warning there if you're in the word that's milk you crave that milk you're not really moving on but that means that you're not moving on to understand and discern good and evil immature will think God is pleased by keeping his laws as they understand them and following traditions 
Think about the Pharisees. They, they felt themselves being godly, but they were immature in what God was really after with the relationship. There's an understanding that they, of what they were saved from. So certainly they understood we've been pulled out of bondage in Egypt and we've been saved so many times from other countries coming in and collecting us up and hauling us off as slaves and God's brought us back. But they don't know what they're saved for. So we might understand, yes, we have salvation and that's great, but there's more to it. There's a relationship to be had there. The relationship is where we find the meat of the word. Knowing God is how we know good from evil, how we know justice, mercy, and faith. If we don't enter into a relationship with God through Christ, God will remain far off and mysterious. How do you please someone that you don't know them? Have you ever had to buy a birthday gift or a, a some sort of a Christmas gift for somebody that you don't know, what are they like? What are they into? What size are they? Kind of hard to do if you don't know them. If you know them, you know exactly what they want to get. Uh, you know exactly what they're after. The children of Israel are an example of this. When God descends to them on Sinai, They rejected coming into relationship with them, and they suffered because of it. They they wanted Moses to continue to be their their emissary and said, you know, keep him away from us. We don't know, and we don't want to know. If we don't seek maturity, isn't that what we're doing? And the children of Israel suffered greatly for it, and then we have that example. Shouldn't we expect the same thing in our lives if we keep him at a distance? Paul talks to the Corinthians about remaining infants, worldly and carnal. But let's put it this way. If we stay immature, we are carnal and will remain carnal. There's no reason to grow. And we see in Hebrews, we're not trained to know good from evil. Paul warns Timothy about this. This is in Timothy. He says, but understand this. In the last days, terrible times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love of good, traitorous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its powers. Turn away from, from such as these. They are the kind who worm their way into households and captivate vulnerable women who are weighted down with sin and led astray by various passions, who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. That last part shows the vulnerability of immaturity. How much do we see the world pulling itself pushing itself into Christian culture. And if people are carnal and immature and vulnerable, kept up by sin, kept up by pushing God out, don't don't get too close to me. They're vulnerable to all kinds of things and they're without discernment of good and evil. 
That's a, that's a really weighty thing. How many times, if, if we're only seeking teaching that lets us continue our sin or lets us continue our carnal nature, I, I don't need another thing to do in my life. I'm kind of busy. But the idea of changing constantly in a relationship with God seems like a task if you view it that way. If you're immature, you'll see going deeper with God as being another job. And I don't need another job. But if it's a relationship, how much more do you want to get to know someone that knows all? How much better is your life for the one that knows all things? Uh, so how do we find maturity? How do we, how do we build maturity in our lives? Let's go back and look at that list real quick. In the last days, there will be terrible times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. And he gives a whole long list that's the antithesis of the fruit of the Spirit. They'll be lovers of money, disobedient to the parents, ungrateful, unholy, unforgiving, unloving, without self-control, brutal, all these things. But then we look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those aren't individual fruits. That's the description of the fruit. It's a red apple. It's not red and an apple. It's a red apple. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We can't separate them into their own things and think, well, I've got love down pretty good. If you don't have patience, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. You can work on the fruit of the Spirit, but that's not the total thing of it. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is born out of our relationship and understanding the deeper principles of God's character, sort of what the Pharisees were missing. They understood the law, but they missed the principle for the law. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. The faith is that faith is maturing in Christ. This is all about relationship with Christ, with with God. So let's talk about uh, some of the rules of maturing relationships. So I want to illustrate this in the the way that I've got a I have a really great uh, pattern in front of me for this. So I'm going to try to paint this for you guys. We have five kids. Oldest is 14, youngest is 15 months. There's all kinds of decision-making throughout our house from all different angles. Some of you, you know, Audrey was a pretty good point, but, you know, Owen, he's, he's getting up, he's, you know, mimicking a few little phrases, he's kind of walking okay, he's got a really cute little run, um, but, it, you know, he's obviously he's 15 months old. He's, he's where he should be. But what if Evangeline... 14 years old, acted like Owen. 
it wouldn't be right. It would be off. It would be weird. Um, and it would be sad. Because if, if she remained in an infantile state at 14, she would be wasting so much opportunity. She has the ability, and we provide her with all of the necessary tools and advice and encouragement. But if she just continues to remain infantile, wouldn't that kind of hurt to see that? Wouldn't that sadden you to see the wasted potential? If she remains infantile, we could be very upset with her, knowing that she's capable of so much more. We can judge her abilities and understanding and provide her with all the parental guidance, but it's really up to her whether or not she grows. Our desire for her and all of our kids is a fulfilling, meaningful, God-honoring life that makes an impact on his kingdom. Following our rules around the house and education goals are means to an end. They're not the end. The idea there is to set her up in the best possible place, but she has to make the decision. How we conduct ourselves to be functional in the body of Christ is much the same way. We can follow the rules but if we understand why the rules, isn't that better? Let's get off into these beautiful Colorado uh, vistas here, thinking about all the different ways of maturing, thinking about all the different opportunities you have for relationship in your life and all the different opportunities you have to grow in Christ. So we see all these little towns and trails and the river out there. There's probably some planes flying over. So the Bible tells us how we can know God. And his spirit testifies in truth. Scripture after scripture, story after story, tell us about God and his character, his plans, his wisdom, and his kingdom. We see warnings about not having wisdom, about not having maturity. We see his grace and mercy for those that are seeking maturity. We have all kinds of tools laid out in front of us to use. We just have to pick them up and use them. But all these tools are meant to be used in relationships. The fruit of the Spirit is only evident in relationships. It's kind of hard to show love if there's nobody to show love to. There's not a lot of peace between one person. Uh, Self-control might be easy to do if there's only one self. Um, So the fruit that's mentioned throughout Scripture is in a relational context. Let's look at them a little bit in, in Scripture, how they're described. So Christ says, Greater love has no man than to lay down his own life for his friends. That's a relational context. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. That's pretty relational. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. See then the kindness and the severity of God, 
To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, for otherwise you too will be cut off. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's relational. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. These and many other give us an understanding that these fruit are born out of relationships with each other and with God. In thinking about this, one of the, the ideas that I was really uh, struck by is how our personalities play into our maturity. I'm going to tell on myself a little bit in this, and then I hope you won't hold it against me too much, but... Um, good personalities should not be mistaken for godly fruit. Too often I think that happens. Uh, it's something that it's easy to pass off as virtuous. So what do I mean by that? When I was younger, my older sister had a very high-strung personality. And she would love to mess with me. But the thing I figured out is if I didn't react to her, it made her even more enraged. If she couldn't get a reaction out of me, it just sent her over the top. And what would happen is she would finally explode, and she'd hit me or punch a wall or just any number of things. And she would get in trouble. Well, was I showing patience? Was I showing a godly characteristic? Was that even self-control? No, I was pent up with rage too. I wanted to fight back just as much as her, but I just knew the trick. I was mad, but I was also really happy when she got in trouble. None of that was godly. But to people on the outside, well, he's just so calm, cool, and collected. Well, yeah, I know it's coming. I still struggle with this today, even. Uh, a struggle with pride when I'm wrong talking to Meg and she'll confront me on something and you're just wrong about this and I try to stay stoic like you know just you know Meg well John you just have that dumb look on your face and it's like immediately I know yeah yeah and I try to hold it together and, and don't we all have some kind of trick like that in our personality but we should not conflate personality with godly character. Now, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a good character, or a good personality. The best personality you can possibly have will make this life a lot easier. And we'll, uh, let's go back to the idea of you know, the Pharisees with their tithing, uh, the small amounts of spices. Know the principle behind having a good personality. Know why you have it. Know what it's useful for. Um, but likewise, we can't pass off bad personality as godly either. What do, how do you pass off a bad personality? Well, think about it. Are you really honest or are you brutally honest? There's a difference there. Um, are you patient 
or are you just trying to practice stoicism? Are you actually a good leader, or are you just really good at exerting your own will on other people? Um, so let's not take the idea that personality traits are godly. Certainly we should make our personality fit godly characteristics. Again, the fruit of the Spirit, maturity, is again only gained through our relationship with God, godly um, relationships. By definition, we cannot bring it to bear in ourselves. We can do the work to some degree, and a lot of us can mimic fruit of the Spirit in our works to some extent, but if faith without works is dead, can we also say that works without faith is dead? Obedience is better than sacrifice. But when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. These mimicked behaviors can look good and be pleasant to be around at times, but there's no godly heart change. So... This is Pike's Peak. This is this is meant to exemplify, you know, the kid with the little car and the car crash uh, and those beautiful Colorado vistas. This race is um, a timed race in Pike's Peak, Colorado, where only the best drivers and the best cars and teams could possibly win this thing. So this is the pinnacle of maturity. So we're going to head that direction. So uh, let's drive it home this morning. What's the path to maturity? How do we get there? Well, first, we must enter into our relationship with God, obviously. Second, it's to turn from our sins. All sin is against God. That's our relationship. We have to recognize that maturing in Christ, we have to turn from sin because our sin is a violation of our relationship. If I wrong you, I can only go so far in a relationship with you until I fix that. Third is communion with God through his word and prayer. That's how we know him. That's how we know what color he is, size he is, what to get him for Christmas. Fourth is to be with his people. I'm just not a people person. My grandfather was not a people person. He didn't go to church a lot. He loved he loved to talk about God and he loved to be in church services. He just didn't like to be around church people. <laughs> That's not a good place to be. Um, we must become peoply people because God wants relationship with people, and if He's our example. We want relationship with people. Just so you don't think I'm making that part up. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Peter 4.10 As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Romans 3, or 12, 3, 
uh, through 6. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one in the body of Christ and the individual members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is giving to us, let us use them. So this is all about what we're supposed to be doing. Doing these things helps us mature, helps us to be in relationships, helps us to answer God's call. So to finish off this morning, you know, as you look at that beautiful Colorado Vista and see all the different angles and places that it goes off and think about all the different scriptures that I read, most of them pertain to me first. The relationships that I find important, the relationships that I have, and the problems that I have in those relationships. And the things that I need to fix in those things. And the, the conviction that would come on me as I'm reading through it, am I doing this? Thinking about the, the Pharisees coming up against Christ and thinking, yeah, I would be on Christ's side for sure. But am I always? Am I always seeking to be in relationship with him? Or am I sometimes holding back, not wanting to be in certain aspects of relationship with him? It's easy to drop into complacency as well. As I said, I'm, I'm pretty busy. I don't need another job. I don't need another task to fulfill. I don't need to fill out more paperwork. But a relationship that benefits me would be nice. And understanding that's what maturity is doing, is allowing us relationship with the one who knows all things. Through study and prayer and being in relationship with the body and finding and using our gifts, we can attain maturity. In my life, I know there's a lot longer, a longer path to go. There's more to do, and I can see that, but I can be encouraged to know that what I'm doing, I'm on the right path if I'm headed towards um, the fruit of the Spirit. So God has created us to be in a relationship with him, all of us. So being made in his image, we should strive by his example to be in relationship with him and each other. And through this, our relationship with him, let him prune us, that we may mature and bear more fruit. Thank you, John. Let's stand as we prepare to close.